This is day 234 of our daily Bible reading. We are going to read the book of 2 Peter today, chapters 1 through 3. Lord Jesus, as we come into your presence this morning, please help us to stay focused. Help us remember what is the cost that you paid for us. And ultimately, Lord, the cost that we now have to pay, which is our very lives in your service. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful creation you've given us. We thank you for all the pleasures that you've given us to enjoy. But Lord, we know that not everything is fruitful. We know that not everything is good for us. Help us to stay focused on what you want for us. Your will be done, not ours. Please bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Simon Peter a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance, made from heaven, 
when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention to, as to a lamp shining in the dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment for long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions, as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water, and mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires 
by sensuality, those who barely escape from the one who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things 
hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Congratulations for finishing Second Peter. What a powerful letter from him, wasn't it? It was like a nail-biter from beginning to end, just how amazing it was. Let's look through some of this, because these are some things that we really need to understand as we go forward. Beginning in verse 3, it talks about how this is the development of faith. And if you'll notice, there is a clear progression that's laid out here. Our true knowledge of God is given to us through salvation. Now, the salvation is the starting point for us, right? We, we know that we are dead in our trespasses before that. We have no righteousness within ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to please God in our natural state. But once we are given this salvation, then we see a clear progression of 10 steps, with number 10 being the final achievement for how we are to live in a particular way. So he's granted us magnificent promises, and he has allowed us to escape the corruption of our former lusts. Now, it's up to us whether we stay away from those things, but that is what he's always wanted us to do. But here is how we reach the true knowledge of God. So again, salvation is a starting point, but to achieve the final result, there's a clear path that is marked for us. Like it says in verse 5, first step is having diligence. Number two, having diligence in what? Diligence in our faith. Number three, supply moral excellence. Live in a morally excellent way. And then number four, your moral excellence will transform into knowledge. Once you have that moral excellence in your life and you've established that routine, those good habits, then you will understand that this is the way God intended it, and that's knowledge, right? Then with the knowledge, you have self-control. You have a clear understanding of God's expectations, and that should give you a healthy fear to obey them. And that self-control is where a lot of people stop. In self-control, you'll have perseverance, meaning you will stay in self-control. You will remain steadfast in that. Your perseverance in being in self-control will lead you to godliness. Not that you will be a god in any way, but you will reflect a Christ-like attitude and behavior inside yourself and outside yourself. Not just what you show the world, but your internal, secret self will also be godly. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. You love God, you love his word, you love his wisdom he's given you, and then you love your neighbor as yourself, brotherly kindness. And then in your brotherly kindness, you're showing true love. And that is 
agape, the sacrificial, unconditional love. And if all these qualities of yours, and they are increasing, then you will have received true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the final result that we are desiring. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. And how quickly we forget, right? How quickly we forget how he has purified us from our former life. So there are some believers, and this is Paul and Peter talking about this in previous books, where baby Christians, even if you've been a Christian for 50 years, you can still be a baby Christian. If you are blind to the true knowledge of God by not investing in your spiritual life. Or you might be like some of us that are on the road of maturation. And at times we are short-sighted on things. And that's what causes us to sin. That's what causes us to falter. And yet we are still learning. And we will get there. So he reminds us in verse 10 to be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, these 10 things that we talked about here, you will never stumble. So if you are practicing moral excellence, diligence, self-control, godliness, all these different things, you will never stumble. You will never fall away from the faith. You will never give up. You will never have spiritual decay in your life. That's what we are hoping for. And this is what God expects from us. He's given us the instructions here how to do it. We just need to do it. Now, between verses 12 through 15, Peter is showing that as an apostle, his job is to remind them of the things that they need to be practicing. They already know them, but it's always nice to be reminded. And it also says here in verse 14 that he knows that the laying aside of his earthly dwelling is imminent, meaning that he knows he's going to be dying soon. So this is near the end of his life, much like Paul when he wrote 2 Timothy. So this is a very precious thing to see here. Then he reminds us in verse 16 that we are not believing in cleverly devised tales. These things that are in the Bible are not stories. These are historical truth. These are eyewitness accounts, just like the Gospels that we read. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are eyewitness accounts. And Peter more than others, right? Because he witnessed the transfiguration, remember? He witnessed so many miracles. He witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was there on the top of the mountain when Jesus was transfigured, and that dark cloud overcame them, and they heard the Father say, This is my Son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. They were eyewitnesses to these things. And so, you can't get more reliable than that. So, what he makes very clear is like in verse 20. Scripture is not according to what you interpret. There is only one right answer to the things in the Bible. There's only one correct view. Humanity, unfortunately, has a lot of different views on different portions of controversial scripture. But God makes it very clear through Peter 
that there is only one right way to understand this. And we need to seek that. And unfortunately, this opens the door for false teachers. Because those who are weak-willed, weak-minded, weak-spirited are going to listen and believe lies. And that's how you get into a lot of the mess that we're in in Christian circles. I'm not even talking about secular circles. I'm talking about within what we would call denominations, we would call religion, all of these different branches and deviations of Christianity. Not all of them are correct. And he's making it very clear here that it is not an act of human will, but everything that was written in the Bible was written by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So we cannot trust what false teachers and false prophets say. I'm very wary on hearing new revelations or God wanted me to tell you this. Because so often, while he can do that, you have to be very discerning on what you're listening to because you may be leaving a lie. If you, in your heart, knowing that you are spiritually attuned to these things, and you do not feel peace about it, or you feel that there's something very wrong about it, or maybe you're uninformed and you need to do your research, don't be hasty in making a conclusion. Do your homework. Test the spirits. Read the word. Study. Discover what the truth is so that you do not perpetuate and believe a lie. We have to be very careful with that because this is what is in the world. It has been for a very long time. This was written 2,000 years ago, and it sounds very much like what's going on today. It hasn't changed. People are going to be introducing destructive heresies. What do you see going on in churches right now? The accepting of the LGBT community? Calling God a woman or the God of many breasts? or all these different perversions that are going on in the church. These are destructive heresies. Denying the master who bought them. You can't get any darker than that. They're following their sensuality. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. The gospel is tainted at that point. Therefore, it's not the gospel. It is a work of fiction. It is a doctrine of demons. And then, in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So, they're going to be finding ways to destroy you. They're going to be finding ways to silence the truth for their own lusts. Why do you think there's so many church shootings right now? Things are pretty nasty, because people are trying to stop the way of God. Because they hate him. They worship Satan. And unfortunately, Satan has a lot of influence in this world. God is way beyond him, and he allows these things to happen. But we need to be diligent, and we need to be ready to defend ourselves. Not necessarily physically, but that may be an option too. But despite all the negativity in the world today, one thing remains certain. God has condemned and will judge them in the final day. They won't get away with it. They will not escape. That's one comfort that we need to remember. 
In the temporal, it may not seem fair, right, from our standards. Well, how come the evil people get away with it for so long? You think of these corrupt leaders that are running the world today. You think of President Biden. You thought of Nancy Pelosi. You think of George Soros. You think of Dr. Fauci. You think of all these people that are purposely trying to lead people astray and advance an agenda that is so overtly evil. And yet there are people that wonder, God, why aren't you doing anything? Well, first of all, how do you know he's not doing anything? But secondly is, even if they get away with it right now, they have their reward right now. And this is the extent of it. Because for the rest of eternity, which right now is a blip in comparison to eternity, they will get what's coming to them. And it will come and be terrible on that day. Verse 4 of chapter 2. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and he did not spare the ancient world, right, when they sinned, except for Noah and his family, he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, but he did spare Lot, who was very troubled by what was going on, then we know that God can take care of things. We know that God can handle what's going on in the world. Even if you have never witnessed God handling something in your life, his track record is here. And he has done many things in handling perversion and evil and corruption, so far as even destroying the whole world for it. And then in the second half of chapter 2, Peter gives us some more characteristics and identity of what these false teachers look like, these evil people. They indulge the flesh in corrupt desires, and they also despise authority. And really, whose authority are they despising? God's authority, right? They are daring. I mean, they are bold in their evil. They are self-willed. They don't care about anybody except themselves. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. They speak all these evil, blasphemous things about heaven and about angels and about God, and they don't flinch. That's how you know something is really off. They are like unreasoning animals, and they are going to get what's coming to them. There are more characteristics that we can see here as well, and they all follow the way of Balaam. They have the appearance of being godly because Balaam was a prophet. He was a seer of God, but he could not pick sides. He wanted to do the things of God, but he also loved money. He loved the favor of men. And unfortunately, he hired himself out to do religious work for personal gain. That is not how we do things, and it's not about us. And we know that. But unfortunately, the people around us do not. Then he reminds us in verse 19 that what a man is overcome by, by this he is enslaved. Some people may be pushing an agenda, saying that doing this will free you. So I think of the LGP, I think of the transgender and the LGBT community when I say that, because they promise freedom. Be yourself. 
Don't listen to these moral restraints that are around us, that it has to be male and female. And no, you could be whatever you want. Identify as whatever makes you happy. That is true freedom. I am now free to be who I really am. Is it really? The people who speak these lies, in the Bible, it says very clearly in verse 19, that they are enslaved to their own depravity, and they don't even know it. They don't even see it. And yet they're speaking about freedom, when yet they are the most enslaved of all. What a horrible existence to be aware of. And more than anything, this should give us pity and compassion toward these people. Absolutely hate the sin. There's no doubt in my mind that we need to hate the sin because God hates it. But I have nothing but pity and compassion for these people. They are so lost. They are so confused. They are looking for love in all the wrong places. And he's right there. And he's always been there waiting to embrace them. They just don't accept him for who he is. The same argument they're making about humans, not accepting them for who they are, they don't accept God for who he is. And so it's such a sad state of affairs, isn't it? That's why we are so needed in this world right now. That's why we're here. That's why we're getting equipped. Because we need to take this into a fallen world, and we need to speak truth. Even if it sobers up one person, it was worth it. So don't expect to be Billy Graham and have thousands upon thousands of followers and thousands of conversions when you open your mouth. If you are able to save one person in the name of Christ, it was worth it. You have fulfilled something amazing. Don't ever forget that. Chapter 3 is a really interesting chapter because Peter here is showing us that the world was originally destroyed once by water, right? The great flood of the time of Noah. But next time, it's going to be destroyed by fire. Everything is going to melt with the intense heat. And then God will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. But then we have to ask, what is taking God so long? It's been 2,000 years since they've said it, and even back then, 2,000 years ago, they said that the time was near. Okay, it's been 2,000 years. How much longer do you need, God? Well, here's the answer. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. Verse 8. With the Lord, one day is like a 1,000 years, and a 1,000 years like one day. He is outside of time and space. Time means absolutely nothing to him. If you recall, when we read the Psalms, it mentions that the entire universe is like the length of our hands to him. Or time and space being like a span, like from your thumb to your index finger, if you were to make like a little gun with your fingers. That's how insignificant it is to him. And so he sees all things at once, all the time. By his standards, he is not slow. We may think he's slow, 
but he's not. But why hasn't he come back? Here's the answer. He does not want people to die. He doesn't want them to perish, meaning that is eternal death. That is eternal separation from him. But he wants all to come to repentance. Now, could he force us into repentance like he saved us? Yes. But he wants people to see him for what he really is. And yet the world doesn't. So God has not returned yet because there are still people to save. And until the final person receives salvation, God won't return. He already knows when and how it's going to happen. So it's just a matter of when and how it's going to happen. But let's be willing instruments to do it and advance the kingdom. Again, we don't know when this is going to happen. It's not our place to know. And it doesn't matter. We need to remember that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It will come unexpectedly. So anyone who tells you they have an idea of when he's coming back, they don't know. There are signs in the Bible that give us an idea of when, but we don't know exactly when. It will come like a thief. It will come unexpectedly. And we have nothing to worry about, right? Because we've escaped the judgment. The rest of the world has not, but we have. We are looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. But this world is in dire straits right now. And they need the gospel. That's the only way that they can be saved. So much like we've talked about before, beginning with diligence, right? We need to be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Meaning that if he were to return today, we would have no regrets. We would be exactly what he wants us to be in moral excellence. And what I like here is he gives a shout out to Paul. And what is very interesting in the way he describes his letters is he is identifying Paul's letters as scripture. He is aware that what he wrote was from God. And I think that's very interesting. And in that same vein, he also mentions that in those letters are things that are hard to understand, in which untaught or unstable men will distort. And that reminds me of the Catholic Church. That immediately comes to mind when I read that verse. The scripture is severely twisted and distorted, and it's completely fabricated by false teachers in the Catholic Church, especially the Pope and the Magisterium. We have to be very careful not to believe something that isn't true of the Bible. Again, there's only one right answer. We need God's right answer. That's the only one that really matters. And that is 2 Peter. Tomorrow, we will read most of 1 John before we go into the smaller letters. And that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.